My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody. And I'm glad you could join us online this morning. Welcome to Our Sunday School. A uh, special welcome to room 206 at the Hickson campus. Big thanks to Jessica Miller for getting the tech set up for us this morning. So those of you that want to be in person at the Hickson campus and engage with our Sunday school can do so in a small group setting there. Uh, and welcome to the rest of you guys that are online with us. Appreciate you uh, joining us this morning. If you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 9. Uh, so Mark chapter 9, we'll start somewhere around verse 19 this morning. So I'll just take a second to greet some folks. So we've got uh, Amy Velosen. Hey, good morning, Amy. Uh, obviously, Jessica's at the Hickson campus in room 206. Thanks again. Uh, the Johnsons this morning, the Landers this morning, Barry Cole. Howdy, Barry. And uh, good afternoon to Vicki when she listens to this. And then uh, Brittany Janika and uh, Venus. Uh, congratulations to you guys uh, are in order. Uh, we are thrilled for you guys and uh, looking forward to being able to celebrate with you in several months. And uh, so just all around joy there at that uh, announcement yesterday. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. So if you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 9. This is week 84 of our series in Mark, uh, and we're right at the halfway point in the Gospel of Mark. Now, we're, uh, we're not technically at the halfway point if you count by chapters, but if you count by words in the original language, we're right at the halfway point uh, this week, next week, kind of uh, in that spot. So we, if, if we think that we're going to go about as long on the second half as we did the first half, then we should, uh, yeah, I'll let you do the extrapolation there. You can refer the math questions to Josh Landers. Uh, but we've probably got another 85, 90 lessons to go, and uh, I'm excited about that. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 9, and uh, we'll ask the question that we ask each week, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Be thinking through that question. Uh, as I read through Mark chapter 9. So just give us, a, give us a, a brief summary of where we've been. So we've been introduced to Jesus. Uh, Jesus has uh, called his disciples. He's preached. He's healed. He's preached. He's healed. He's dealt with all sorts of questions around uh, theology from the scribes and the Pharisees who are trying to engage and contradict uh, he's engaged with uh, the demonic several different times and has always come out victorious, which is uh, a beautiful thing. And then in chapter 8, he begins to start to teach his disciples about his uh, persecution, his uh, death, uh, his burial, his resurrection. And uh, in chapter 9, he expounds upon that through several different uh, mechanisms. So I'll read through chapter 9, and then we'll start back at verse uh, 19 this morning. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought to you, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name 
will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Mark chapter 9. So before I get too far into the lesson today, I just want to say thank you for those of you that have prayed for me. Um, I mentioned uh, a week or two ago that I'd been having some trouble with uh, coughing and asthma, and uh, my doctor got me on some new meds. All cleared up, fantastic, uh, much, much better. So I greatly appreciate your prayers uh, in that space. So I continue saying good morning to some folks. So good morning to, to Cheryl. Hey, good morning this morning. Uh, Ronnie and Beverly Gregg in North Carolina. Good morning to all my friends in North Carolina. Uh, the Barbers are here. Good morning. And uh, the Arnolds. Hey, good morning, guys. Glad you guys could join us this morning. So we'll start with uh, verse uh, 19 this morning. Uh, we're, we're picking up with this story where Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. The story begins in 14. Uh, this is the, the disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, coming back with Jesus from the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, and they come upon the disciples having an argument uh, with the scribes about... Um, Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? In verse 17, it says, from the crowd, uh, uh, answered him, uh, teacher, and so this is the father that's beginning to lay out the, the scenario here. Teacher, I brought my son uh, to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples, we're going to see this distinction that we began to tease out last week, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Uh, that word for able is not the word dunamis. It's uh, iskuo. Uh, it's the idea of having the, the strength or the ability or the, the wellness to actually accomplish a thing. So we'll pick up this morning in verse 19, and I will, I will tell you this. Uh, the pronouns don't get easier in today's text from last week and the week before. Uh, and we'll even see an instance where the ESV does something that I'm simultaneously not a fan of and a fan of. Uh, they will insert the word Jesus, the name Jesus, instead of uh, uh, the Greek word autos, uh, which means he or him. Uh, and sometimes they insert it just where there's no Greek word to help the English readers understand who is doing what action, who is receiving what action, who is speaking, who is receiving the speech, just to help clarify for us, the English speakers. I think the ESV gets it right, uh, but they are inserting a word, and they don't, as other translations, italicize when they insert a word. So I'll try to mention this as we come across these uh, in the Gospel of Mark. So verse 19, and he, this is Jesus, uh, answered them, and there's a 
there's a bit of a, I don't want to say debates probably are the wrong word, but a bit of fuzziness here around specifically who the them is. So, so think about the, the different groups of people. So you've got Jesus, right? And you've got the three disciples that came with him from the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got the Father who just spoke. You've got the crowd, which includes kind of three different groups, just uh, the scribes, the disciples that Jesus left, and then the, uh, uh, the general crowd, just the general public that's milling around. It, it doesn't make sense from the context here that Jesus would be speaking to Peter, James, and John. Right? This, is, um, this would be an odd direction to go, um, but it, it also is the plural, them. So he's not speaking only to the Father here. So the Father's just laid out this uh, situation. So he's either speaking to the crowd, the remaining disciples, or the scribes, or some combination of them. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm not sure that it matters too much which it is, uh, because the truth is still the truth that he speaks. So let's, let's keep going. So Jesus answered them, uh, and then I'm going to teach you a Greek word. You ready? O. That's the Greek word. It's one letter. It's just O. And the way it's translated in English in most translations is O, which is kind of cool. So you learned a Greek word today. So, oh, faithless generation. And we talked last week about Greek words that when you begin a Greek word with the letter A, it negates, it's, it's the opposite of whatever comes after. And if you recall back to our series in Romans, uh, this concept of faith, uh, pistis, uh, this, this idea that there is a belief, a structure of, of things that, that we put our confidence in, uh, this is the opposite of that. So he's basically saying, oh, not faithful people, um, oh, faithless generation, this age that he's in, how long am I to be with you? And this is a plural you. This is not, again, he's not speaking directly to this father who has just laid out his concern here. If you, if you misunderstand who Jesus is speaking to, he can come across as exceedingly heartless here. And, it, and I would just say, slow down and make sure we get the pronouns right. Uh, because it can alter how we are instructed then to engage with others who are experiencing heartbreak. So how long am I to be with you? And, and think about that question, right? This is God in the flesh asking, how long am I to be with you? Now, obviously, he wasn't looking for an answer from the crowd here. He just kept going. He asks another question, how long am I to bear with you? This word for bear is to, to hold up uh, oneself against or or to put up with. Now, all of us have experienced this in our lives, right? All of us have experienced somebody or a group of somebodies or a, it seems like everybody that you feel like, how long do I have to put up with you? <laughs> right? When is this going to get better? Um, so Jesus asked this question, how how long am I to bear with you? So we keep going. He says, bring him to me. And, and I love this because this is a, uh, a plural bring. More than one person was supposed to do this. So the dad might have needed help here. Because when you've got somebody who has this particular type of affliction, 
one person transporting this, this kid uh, might have been challenging to do. So Jesus accommodates the child's need in the plurality of the usage of the verb in the command. I love Jesus. He's also a present active imperative. Get him over here to me. Get him over here to me. Get him over here to me. It's a command here. Bring him to me. And, and notice how Jesus distinguishes himself from the other disciples who were not able to do what Jesus was a, is able to do here. Bring him to me. He didn't say bring him to us and I'll show them how all this works. I'll show them the magic spell to say. I'll show them how to wave their hands. I'll show, no, 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 no. Bring him to me. See, there's a, there's a false theology that is going around and it's, it's been going around for quite some time, uh, more than a thousand years in fact, that Jesus wasn't aware of his own divinity which all you really have to do is read the New Testament to understand that Jesus was fully aware of his divinity. He understood the distinction between himself and everyone else. So Jesus says, bring him to me, verse 20. And they brought the boy, the ESV says the boy. It's actually just him. It's the Greek word autos. This is where the, the ESV is trying to help us understand who is being uh, who, who is carrying the action here, right? So they brought the boy to him, to Jesus. And, and here's the interesting part. And when the Spirit saw him. Now, there are times in the New Testament where Jesus' Spirit is referred to. Obviously, from our context here, this is not the Spirit of Christ. This is the evil spirit that the Father had just finished talking about in a couple of verses before. So when this evil spirit, this... Uh, uh, this uh, profane spirit saw him, saw Jesus, immediately, so again, Mark's favorite word, immediately it convulsed the boy. So this is uh, to rend, complete to rend is to tear apart or to convulse violently, to shake, to shake to the point where things start to, to break. The, the intention here is to destroy this child. And, and please don't miss that this is what Satan's objective is as it pertains to the image of God. All, all humans, every single one of us, are made in God's image. And Satan hates that image. Satan doesn't have the power to create as God does. But Satan certainly has the power to destroy. We'll talk about that here in a minute with some of the words that are used. And what Satan does is he, he imitates God in so many different ways. But it's always a bad imitation it's never a flawless imitation because Satan is not God. Satan doesn't have the character, the nature, the essence of God. Satan is a created being. He, by definition, can't be equal to the creation. And what we see here is Satan's desire, his objective, his purpose, his aim, his, his passion coming through in how the demons that associate with him engage with us as humanity. Because what Satan desires is to mar the image of God. Satan is an angry being. There's, there's nowhere in the Bible that describes Satan as filled with joy and peace and, and patience. It's, it's always uh, rash, anger, hate-filled, uh, violent-oriented actions that are associated with Satan. So when we see this demon convulse this boy, just understand that's Satan's desire for every human. 
And we'll watch what Jesus does as we see this. So immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground. Right? So apparently he was standing up or he was being held. Uh, he convulses, he falls on the ground, he rolls about. This is the imperfect uh, tense. This is, means it happens repeatedly. He's rolling about, foaming at the mouth. This is not a pretty scene. This is, this is pain. This is anguish. This is heartbreak. Imagine if you're the father watching this, right? I mean, this is just heartbreaking. Verse 21, and Jesus asked, the word Jesus here is actually added in our translation so that we can understand who is doing the asking. And Jesus asked his father, think about that for a second. I just painted the scene for you. Bring him to me. They brought him to him. The spirit sees Jesus, convulses the boy, rolls around on the ground, falls down, foams at the mouth. And what does Jesus do? He asks a question. Now you might be thinking, Jesus, it's time to heal the boy. And this is where we have to back off of our expectations of what Jesus is and who Jesus is and allow the scriptures to confront us with who he actually is. Because we know from many, many times in the scripture that everything that God does is good and right and perfect in all its ways. There is, there is no even shadow of a sin with our God. And since Jesus is God, there is no shadow of a sin with Jesus Christ. This question was the holiest thing at that exact moment that Jesus could do. How do we know? Because that's what he did. It's wonderful. So Jesus asked his father, how long, like how much time, the, the Greek word is chronos, how long has this been happening? And this, this happening is a perfect tense, means it's, this is something that happened in the past and the results are continuing. So how long has this been going on? Now, what kind of a question does that seem like? Who asks you in your life, how long has this been happening? Doctors, right? They want to know, is this something that started five minutes ago? Is this something that's been going on your entire life? Uh, because a doctor is going to try to dig in and find out what changed that triggered something new, right? The problem solving. Now, the question I have for you guys is, does Jesus know the answer to this question? And I'll give you a hint. The answer to that question is always yes, right? Jesus uh, created all things. He was around before us. Of course, he knows the answer to this. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening? And he, the father, said, from childhood. And then we have a period. Now, that actually answers Jesus' question. The answer is done at that point. But the father keeps talking. And it, it bothered me for quite some time in studying for this lesson over the last few months why the father kept talking. And I'll give you one possibility. It could be a variety, but I'll give you one possibility. Because when they brought the boy to Jesus, Jesus didn't immediately heal him. 
And the father may not have thought that Jesus was serious or fully understood the, the breadth and the, the depth of his heartache and the boy's challenges. Right? So he keeps talking here. So verse 22, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. Now, there, there is just a spectacular amount going on in this sentence that the Father speaks here. So we're going to spend probably the rest of our time just in this sentence. We, we may get to the next sentence. We'll see. <clears throat> it has often. So this word shows up elsewhere in Mark's gospel. Um, flip over to Mark chapter 5, verse 4. Hey, good morning, Matt. And good morning, Miss uh, Jay and Becky. I miss you guys. Matt and Jay and Becky, not just one of the three of you. Um, one of the things that you guys don't know is Miss Becky used to get, I'll just talk about Miss Becky for a second because I love Miss Becky. But uh, one of the things you guys don't know is that Miss Becky used to get to Sunday school. Uh, she and Jay would get to Sunday school early. And because uh, Jay and Becky have several jobs that they do at the Hickson campus. And I love that, that we come to church with a mindset of service. And one of the things that Becky would do is she would ping me with questions about the text that we had either just studied or were about to study. And I love and really, really miss Miss Becky's questions. So um, I hope you miss asking them because I miss hearing them and thinking through and asking God to help us with the answer and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So we're looking at this word often. Uh, so the, the Father says in verse 22, it is often cast him into the fire. This word only shows up one other time in Mark's gospel, Mark 5, 4. Uh, this is the he, Jesus when he heals the, the man with the demon. Um, Let's see, just look at verse 2. When Jesus stepped, had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him uh, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. I just like shiver every time I read this. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So this word for often it's only used twice in Mark's gospel, and it's both times associated with demonic activity. Mark's really good about using words thematically through his gospel. So it is often cast. Now, look at the Greek word here. The Greek word is balo. And if you remember, the Greek word for what Jesus does to demons is ekbalo, to cast out. So this is the opposite of ekbalo, because ek means uh, out. It's the preposition there. Balo is to cast into. So it is, also, it is often cast him into the fire. You might be thinking, cast him into the fire? Like what in the world? Now, now think about this from a father's perspective. Your son has this demon and this demon causes him to convulse and to roll around on the ground and to foam at the mouth. And if there's fire around, he's going to lunge into the fire. Like how does that change how you live your life? How does that change how you watch your child? How does that change how you engage with all the surround? Like you are constantly on alert. Because, spoiler alert for you here, they didn't have central heat and air in their homes back then. If you wanted to get warmed up, you built a fire. So this would have been just incredibly challenging just to function with this type of a difficulty that's going on inside your home. But this word for fire, look at where in Mark's gospel this word is used. It's used in 922 here in this verse. 
and then 943, 48, and 49. It's only used four times in Mark's gospel. All of them are in Mark chapter 9. And what is the context of 43, 48, and 49? Where is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about hell. Right? And, and I don't think it's an accident that this demon is trying to push the image of God into a place where the demon itself is going to go one day. Because Satan is not just an angry, bitter, hateful being. He wants, he desires from passages like this to bring humanity with him to this place and actually wants to preempt this action. Because think about this for just a second. If this demon is invading this child, the demon is inside the child. If the child goes into the fire, the demon is going there too. Like how utterly ludicrous. This is just beyond all logic for me to understand why it would want to do this. But this demon wants to bring humanity into its future pain. You remember that phrase. It wants to bring humanity into its future pain because we'll see Jesus do something a bit different here in a minute. Actually, it'll probably be next week. Uh, so it's often cast him into fire and into water. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So what's, the, like, what's that about? All right, so how does Mark use the word water in Mark's gospel? Well, let's look at the two times before it's used here. Mark chapter 1, verse 8. So this is John the Baptist uh, speaking here. Uh, let's look at verse 7. And he preached, John the Baptist preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Mark uses the word water twice earlier in Mark's Gospel. And both times it's in reference to baptism. So he's set this motif of baptism being associated with water in his gospel. And when's the next time that he uses it? Well, he uses it with this demonic activity. Remember I told you that the devil wants to copy and imitate, but it's always a worse copy. It's a worse imitation. It's a harmful copy. It's a, it's a hurtful imitation. This demon is trying to kill this child. You don't put a child into fire and water unless you intend harm. And this demon, I would say, perhaps is moving along with a baptism into the demonic activity, if there even is such a thing. It's a scary concept. So I want you to see the, the way Mark uses these words before he gets to Mark chapter 9. So it's often cast him into the fire and into water, to, this is Hina, this is in order that, like there's a, there's a purpose. This is not accidental. Because you might be thinking, Jim, you're reading a lot into this. No, I'm, I'm reading the Greek word here, Hina, which means there's a reason for this action. Like there was a purpose to these activities of this demon. Now, if you want a book that uh, allegorizes, Margie, if you're listening, tell me if I'm using this word right that uh, allegorizes this kind of a concept that, that 
puts it into a bit of a story, uh, I would recommend to you C.S. Lewis's uh, Screwtape Letters. Uh, it's one of the first uh, Christian fiction books that I ever read. Uh, I read it in high school, and it was just really amazed at um, the options and how the devil might be working in our world to distract us. It's a set of conversations between uh, demons in hell about the soul of a man and the focus and the attentiveness of a man. Uh, but it's 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 got examples of things, and it might be something that would be helpful to just broaden our perspective on this. All right, to destroy him. This is the purpose. The purpose is to destroy him. Uh, and, and John 10.10 10, uh, is a good verse for us to think about when uh, we think about the demonic activity, when we think about what the devil's purposes are. Uh, John 10.10, 10, it's probably one many of you have uh, memorized, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And if, if there was ever a, a passage that illustrated John 10, 10, this passage is it. To steal, to kill, to destroy. Because this demon had stolen the peace, the calm, the comfort from this house, right? There was so much going on. This demon was trying to kill this child by throwing him in fire and in water. And this demon was trying ultimately to just destroy this child because he hates God. And, and this is something that I think might be an application from this particular concept, that we see the devil hate on somebody because somebody else loves that somebody. And when we hate on somebody because somebody else loves that somebody, if this somebody is not somebody that we agree with, we are being like the demonic. Does that make sense? I feel like I need a picture for this. I may think about that. So in order to destroy him, this word destroy shows up several times in Mark's gospel. Uh, look at Mark 1, uh, 24. This is the demon uh, crying out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. One of the things that Mark does in his gospel is he uses characters that you wouldn't anticipate understanding certain things to help the reader understand certain things. Uh, Mark 2.22 uh, this is the verse that we looked at last week. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skin and the wine is destroyed, right? This demon wasn't designed to be inside this child. There's a destructive element that occurs when that happens. Mark 3, verse 6. This is after Jesus uh, heals the man with the withered hand. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Because they were their father, the devil, and did the actions that were consistent with devilish actions. And then 438, and then we'll keep going in Mark 9. 438, <clears throat> Jesus calms the storm. 
But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, his disciples woke him, and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're being destroyed? <laughs> and the irony there is that he's the one that cares the most, and they weren't being destroyed. They were with the one that could calm the wind and the waves and change all things. So this is the demon's goal, is to destroy him. And then the father continues with one more sentence. And I'll read this sentence and then we'll close for today. We'll pick back up with this uh, word but next week, Lord willing. But if you can do, are you strong enough? Dunamis, if you can do anything, if you can, if you can bring somebody, if you have something, have compassion on us and help us. Now, we know how the story ends. We know Jesus does have compassion. We know Jesus does help them. Um, and I am grateful that he does. I am grateful that he does. So we'll uh, close there today. Uh, I will say, uh, again, thank you guys for being with us this morning. Uh, if you have uh, if you have questions about this text, uh, feel free to reach out, uh, comment in the, uh, the Facebook group there. This lesson, uh, along with all of the other lessons in Mark, are available on our YouTube page at Our Sunday School. And uh, you can get there from OurSundaySchool.com or you can subscribe uh, on uh, OurSundaySchool.com. You click on the subscribe button there on the website. If you're interested in joining Our Sunday School as a member of our class, love to have you be a member of our class. Uh, you can find that information out on the About Us tab at OurSundaySchool.com. And then uh, I would encourage us to spend some time prayer uh, in prayer, uh, writing down our prayer requests, praying for those that are not with us. And then as you have opportunity, we'd love for you to engage with one of our worship services at Stuart Heights. You can do that online at stuartheights.org, or you can go in person to one of our three campuses. And uh, we'd love to have you participate in that way. So again, thank you very much for being here this morning. We'll pick back up next week, Lord willing, with the uh, but in verse uh, 22. And... Uh, until then, grace and peace. I love you guys and I miss you guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.